Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice and the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. I'm Corwin Heller. I'm drinking out of my Juice and the Numbers mug, wearing one of my Juice and the Numbers shirts. And now I'm very excited I didn't have the wherewithal to put on one of my Juice and the Numbers hats because those two things were unintentional. But if I put the hat on, it would look very intentional. Um, I'm wearing Penn State because that is who I am as a person. See, this is why I'm not a marketing strategist, because uh, I just don't give a fuck. I, I I don't care. I very much agree. Man, and let me tell you, folks, if anyone out there is uh, considering starting a podcast of their own, first off, it's a blast. Fucking go for it. Uh, but also, I never understood why more podcasts weren't just like all over the place in social media. And it's because, uh, yeah, you have to hire someone to do that because I'm not going to fucking do it. You know how little I give a fuck about social media? I'm not spending my time doing that shit. I'm barely got it for myself. Ah, <clears throat> oh, God. That's what's holding us back from the masses, my friend. Hiring a social media coordinator. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. We'll survive. Anywho, uh, welcome to the show. It is, it is, we're actually recording this on a Saturday, which we don't usually do. Part of the reason we don't usually do that is so that we can burn time uh, collecting any additional headlines that might drop uh, as close to our release date as possible, so that way we don't we can minimize the amount of things that we miss. But given some schedule concerns for tomorrow, which will be Sunday, but yesterday for you people listening to this on Monday, recording out recording today, and we figured as long as we might be missing a newsworthy topic or discussion point, we might as well talk about something that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that's happening right now, kinda ish, right. and talk about the Chicago White Sox. Now, if you have been listening to the show since its violent birth, then you will know that I have been uh, rooting for the White Sox basically for the past. I don't it, my my rooting interest in the White Sox has predated this show because they have been a sad sack team for a long time. And I love a good sad sack team and I want them to be better. And they have good jerseys. So there you go. Uh, and since this show has started, the uh trajectory of the White Sox team has gone quite high and they're set to win their division and make the playoffs for Corwin. I'm going to double check myself because this is, I believe, one of the fun facts that I had up make the playoffs for the first time in consecutive seasons in their entire history. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. I'm going to need a, um, you did check that. Yeah. So last season, 2020, was the first time the White Sox ever made the playoffs in the wild card. The wild card, which has been around since what, 90, 96? 90, hold on. 94. Uh, when did the wild card come into. Uh, when <laughs> oh god there is if there's nothing like this show coming up with it was 94 um then coming up with topic ideas and frantically googling because we I'm didn't have a think that something would come up that obviously came up so 94 yeah so since 1994 the only time the white Sox have ever made the playoffs is when they've actually managed to win their division 
which since 1994, they have done three times, but that's been it. They won in 2000, 2005, when they went to the World Series, won the World Series. They lost um, literally, I think, only one game that entire postseason run. It was ridiculous. And then 2008. And there was a, that means that there was a 12-year birth there, or 12-year uh, run there, where they didn't not only didn't make the playoffs because they didn't win the division, they made the playoffs because they didn't even qualify for the fucking wild card. And in 2012, they expanded the wild card to two teams, which means they really fucking sucked. Yes, they do. I mean, that's hard mm. to do. They have been a team where before I even got into baseball, they were synonymous with being, you know, a team with a loser's mentality. Like Chicago had the Cubs and the White Sox. Like the New York has the Yankees and the Mets, but the Mets also have, well, they do have a history of sadness. They have a rich history as well. They have a lot of really, truly great players that hold up that Mets name. In Chicago, it's like, oh, you, you're a White Sox fan. Oh, okay. You've made poor choices in your life because you had free reign for both. I'm sorry. Honestly, even, even, even the Cubs, I mean, they haven't won a World Series in my father's lifetime. <laughs> but they're a team that still held their nose up high and looked down on some other teams. That is true. They do have they are quite compass. Field. Yes, yeah. they do. They do. Uh, ivory. Sorry, I said I think I said ivory. I meant ivy. I think I said ivory. I understood what you meant. Yeah, it just yeah. There's too there was too many syllables in whatever word I just said. Um, regardless, yeah. I mean, they they've been that they've been the team where legends go to die. It feels like for our like I, one of my early memories of the White Sox when because I think at some point maybe it's just me it took a, a few years of realization that like the other teams in the league actually did stuff when your team wasn't playing them. <laughs> like, obviously you knew that they were like doing stuff, but it's like, if, if we're not, if the Yankees weren't playing the White Sox, like did they even exist? Right. You know? Um, and when I came like, to for the longest time, team, sorry, for, go, ahead, go, no, ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say like, there were so many teams like the Arizona diamondbacks or the Texas Rangers or, pick half a dozen other teams where if I was not actively seeing them in front of me, I had that like toddler age object permanence problem where it's like, I just do not acknowledge that they exist beyond the games they play against teams I'm watching. Right. It, 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 yeah, it it is. It's, it's, it's like playing peekaboo with a toddler. The second you, you, you cover their eyes, it's like, Oh yeah, I, who object. Permanent. Yeah. Um, I've watched a short YouTube video or two. <laughs> I know things. And the the only so the, the the early memory I have of them is when Ken Griffey Jr. was on the team, and it was very much at the end of his career. And it was like everyone was like, "Aw, this is sad." Mm. And that's my first memory of the White Sox. Okay. And well, actually, hold on. Here's another thing I didn't actually look up. When did Ken Griffey Jr. retire? I want you to I guess. have absolutely no idea. Uh, 2011. That's going to be my guess. You said six. Okay. 2010. You were closer. Yeah. So he was with the White Sox in 08 when they had their final, their, their penultimate playoff run as of, as of date. And uh, yeah, they didn't, they didn't make it past the division series. 
Oh boy. Uchi Before Uchi. we move on from how bad they've been, the oh only God. thing I ever really knew and or you know you know connected with the White Sox, holy shit, words are hard, was Easy E wearing that baseball cap in the straight out of Compton music video. Yeah. And just rappers wearing the White Sox hat because it was black and white. Dude, sorry. I I, I scrolled down to Ken Griffey Jr.'s postseason batting just to look at what he was like in that one playoff run that they had. Um, mm-hmm. The answer to that being not great, um, but that doesn't matter. That was his first playoff appearance since 1997. That's so fucking wow. sad, man. Wow. That's it. Ken Griffey Jr. appeared in three postseasons in his entire career. And it's like part I... of me knew that already, but man, it is just so sad to hear it. I always assumed he was on the Mariners for that 2001 season. No, he had left for Cincinnati already. He was on Cincinnati in 2000. Wow. I yeah. never put those together. Holy shit. Because so many of the other Mariners of his time were, were still on that 01 team. Yeah. So it, it feels like he was, even though he wasn't. So it really was Pedro's team through and through at that point. Pedro? Pe- uh, no, Hernandez. Oh, um, uh, fuck. You mean Felix, Felix Hernandez. Oh, you know, but Felix hadn't shown up then. Felix showed up in 06. Nelson Mandela, what are you doing to my brain? (laughs) Corwin has just put everyone who's ever worn a Mariners uniform on the same team in the same year. Oh my god, 2005, you're right Who was there. on the 2001 Mariners? It was Ichiro It was oh, Ichiro. Um, How did I forget that? Jay Bruner's still there? I don't know it, it's a, it was people It was people who played baseball games Let's see, Edgar Martinez Edgar, Edgar's who I was fucking thinking of yep. Jesus Christ 160 OPS plus that year Brett Boone with a 153. Brett Boone was there. I know Randy Johnson had already left. He was in the first or second year of his contract with the Diamondbacks at that point. David Bell was there. Oh, the lesser Bell. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Okay, hold on. No, stop. Stop. Hold on. I have to. I have to. I don't care. I don't care. I'm doing (laughs) it. We do this every time. I I don't know anyone on this team. I don't oh know any God. of these pictures, so we can move on. I just okay, dude. We haven't even got through the, We haven't even got through the preamble of today's topic. Oh my God! All right, so the only oh, this is ridiculous. The only playoff appearances, in case you were wondering, of the Chicago White Sox is 1901, 1906. 1917, 1919. So, hey, if you were a fan of the early 1900s, your team is moving and grooving. They then did not make the postseason. They then did not make the postseason for 40 years. 1959 was their next appearance. But, you know, it's it's, it's only, it was only AL champion and NL champion going to the World Series. There was no, you know, like actual expanded postseason. So then they expand the postseason in the 60s. And then the, the White Sox don't make the postseason until 1983. Then they make it again in 1993. 
2000, 2005, 2008, and then again, that 12-year absence, 2020. Now, why are we bringing this up now? Well, like I said in the beginning of the show, the White Sox, who are currently 10 games ahead of um, Cleveland in in the AL Central standings, are poised to win the division for the first time in, uh, again, 12 years when they finished 89 and 74 for the best record in the AL central in 08. Oh my God. That's so sad. <laughs> oh, the AL central y'all suck. Um, but this will then become yes, their first, do. their first consecutive playoff seasons in franchise history. So I think it begs the question, how did they get here? And so we figured it might be an interesting look at how the white Sox kind of revamped their team starting in the year 2016 way way back in what feels like a completely different era of life 2016 and kind of seeing what they did with that roster how they turned it over and what became of the players that they traded for and and you know who they got in return all that type of shit so Corwin you ready to dive into the 2016 Chicago White Sox I suppose so let's start with the batting here. And we're not going to spend too much time on any one piece because this is about telling a story and not necessarily going down memory lane here. But so the starting lineup in terms of who received the most played appearances, because that's how baseball reference does it, of the, of the Chicago White Sox in 2016 was catcher Diana Navarro. No recollection of who that is. First baseman, Jose Abreu. So we can lock him in as a guy that we're going to be seeing plenty of. He's still on the team. What an MVP for them last season. Two seasons ago. Sorry. Right. Last season? Uh, last season. He beat out Luke. It, it was last, last season. season. Yeah. yeah. Uh, second baseman, Brett Lawry. Shortstop, Tim Anderson. Uh, lock him in. We're going to be seeing plenty of him. Um, Brett Lawry. This was actually his last season. He retired after this, which is why if you were like, who the fuck's Brett Lawry? It's because uh, he's not in baseball anymore. Which brings us to third baseman, Todd Frazier. Also no longer in baseball. Left fielder, Melky Cabrera. No longer in baseball. Uh, J.B. Shuck in center field. JB, hold on. All right, I said I wouldn't do this, but I had to. JB Shuck played seven years of, of Major League Baseball and is a lifetime negative 1.5 career war. How many years? Seven. Wow. His career OPS plus is 72. This man must have played some mean defense or something. Oh my God. No, there... he's a negative D war player. What the fuck am I looking at? They're genuinely. Like, we should applaud him for surviving in major leagues for seven years. Yeah. Dude, he finished fifth in Rookie of the Year voting in 2013. I I, I, I can't even comprehend what I'm looking at, so I'm going to have to close this tab. Okay, wow. Yeah. Um, right fielder Adam Eaton <laughs> and D.H. Avisail Garcia. Uh, both those guys we might know. They're, they're still kind of meandering about baseball, and Adam Eaton had just been uh, cut recently by the Angels, which probably ends his career. And Avisayo Garcia is actually having himself a pretty decent, tidy season, um, which might be an undersell, but still uh, over there in Milwaukee, and we'll very likely see the postseason once again. So that's where they're at today. Of those nine players, several of which are now no longer even playing the sport in the major leagues, uh, or, or in MLB, I should say, only two survive these next four or five years, and we'll see what happened to them and who they got to replace them. The starting rotation is also full of guys that may look familiar. We had starting pitcher Chris Sale, who just made his return to Boston this past week. Starting pitcher Jose Quintana, 
Jose Quintana, who's now coming out of the bullpen, I believe, for the Angels. Um, starting pitcher Carlos Rodon, who is still there. Uh, Mike, Miguel Gonzalez, who I'm not sure if he's still around. Oh, Corbin, your boy, James Shields. And Matt Latos. Oh, my God. I forgot about Matt Latos. He's still there. He's, he's a guy just with a great name. You can't tell me Mott Latos is not an amazing name. I wish I knew who it was, but I don't. Look up a picture and you go like, ah, yeah, that guy's name Matt Latos. But anyway, uh, James Shields. L or just L? M-A-T-L-A-T-O-S. L-A-T-O-S. 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 Matt Latos. I think he's from like it's you know, he's like yeah he's from like Virginia but I can't not say his name with like a little bit of like a Russian thing going on there. Anywho, uh, their bullpen is full of guys. The only one who I think is worth any attention is Dave Robertson, but whatever. So that's the 2016 Chicago White Sox. That team ended up with a record of 78 and 84, fourth in the NL Central. They were managed that year by Robin Ventura. Holy <laughs> fuck! I forgot about that. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. Robin Ventura, who's probably best known for two horrible things to be known for, which is, for one, getting duffed up <laughs> by, like, 46-year-old, um, what's his fucking name? Most strikeouts in history. Uh, Chris Davis. Come on. Uh, most strikeouts in history? Yeah, the, the pitcher with the most strikeouts in history. Oh, oh, pitcher with most strikeouts in history? Yeah. Oh, shit. I don't know. Randy Oh, Dawson? my God. No, not Randy. Fuck me. Um, not a Maddox. Uh, Nolan Ryan. Nolan Ryan. Oh, God. Again, Corin and I, big baseball people, uh, can't remember names for fucking shit. <laughs> Even though Nolan Ryan's a name, I think we all come out of the womb knowing. But anyway. Yes. Uh, so, Robin Ventura, known for getting duffed up by Nolan Ryan. And then also known for hitting a grand slam for the Mets, but the Mets players didn't let him round, <laughs> didn't let him get to second base. And it became known as the grand single because the game ended and he never touched home. Oh God. I have to, I have to watch this fight before, uh, before I can mentally continue. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ryan throws at Ventura. Ventura gets all mad. Uh, Nolan Ryan, who's like with the Texas Rangers. I think his arm blows out like a few starts after this, basically. And Ventura charges them out, and Ryan gets him in a headlock and just starts fucking not rocking knuckles to the fucking dome. <laughs> oh, that's great. And and Ryan, Nolan Ryan there is like 44 or some shit, and Robin Ventura is pretty young. Oh. All right. I'm struggling, so let's continue. All right. So... So let's take it to the offseason. That's where the team finished uh, that year in 2016. The winner of the American League Central was, oh, uh, the Cleveland baseball team. It looks like they didn't do super hot. They, oh, no, they lost the, they lost the, oh, that's right. That was the year they lost the World Series. Right, 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 right. Um, so actually the AL Central was coming off two pretty great seasons because they had sent the Kansas City Royals to the World Series the year before that, and they had won before. That was actually a set of back-to-back appearances for Kansas City. They had lost to San Francisco in 2014, beat the Mets in 2015. So this was Cleveland's turn now. They eventually would lose to Chicago's crosstown rival, the Cubs, as we all well know. And so we're looking at it out of that context. It's like, oh, what did Cleveland do in 2016? Ah, oh, right. 
um, thinking about this in terms of the White Sox really mess with my memory there. So offseason comes and the White Sox end up starting off that offseason with quite a splash. Their last, uh, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Transaction before that was uh, sending Dianair Navarro, their catcher, over to Toronto in exchange for Colton Turner, hardly a blockbuster deal. But on December 6th, the night of 2016, Boston comes a knocking and acquires Chris Sale in exchange for a, a uh, quadruple, a Tetris of players who would end up becoming some names that we are going to recognize very much so today. And we're obviously names at the time, but really have cemented themselves as players of impact for the uh, White Sox since then. And those players are Yoan Moncada, third baseman, mm-hmm. Mago Kopech, who uh, they still, I would expect, would see him as a starter eventually, but is currently a reliever. Uh, Luis Alexander Basavi, an outfielder, and Victor Diaz. So now those players are going to be spending uh, some, some time in the minors. You know, not those are all, well, Kopech and um, Mankata are currently major league players. You know, they are, they are part of the major league roster and have, have been for yes, quite are. some time. But, uh, you know, they'll, those, and then I guess Luis Alexander Basabi played um, nine games for the Giants in 2020, and no one's seen him since. <laughs> but mm-hmm. anyway, so right off the bat, I mean, Yo Mankata is, is having himself once again a very nice season. He's got himself a 115 OPS plus this year and has been producing for the White Sox ever since 26, 2017 when he made his debut with them. And Kopech, who was a one of the top prospects in all of baseball at the point that point in time, uh, has really this is his first real season with the White Sox. He's uh, appeared in 32 games thus far for them, pitched himself to a 3.55 ERA and 50.2 innings. He's making himself quite a little spot there in currently the rotation, but certainly the possibility of eventually being a starter. So, looking at this trade by itself. In hindsight, Corwin, what do you think of the beginning of this White Sox rebuild? I mean, it's hard to do better than trading away a piece who's very vocal about refusing to play for the White Sox any longer, you know, in a situation where you don't have a whole lot of leverage, or at least, you know, five years later, looking back, it seems like they did not have a whole lot of leverage in the situation. And getting back a guy who can be a, you know, a genuine front of the rotation starter in Michael Kopech, who is an absolute flamethrower and what seems to be a, you know, a favorite for preseason MVP, um, Yoan Mankata, who everyone is expecting to seriously break out into the stratosphere. So it's hard not to seriously enjoy the return. Um, not happy with that sentence, but, at least it was a, I think, grammatically correct sentence. So we'll move on. Yeah, obviously, you know, I, I, neither of us can sit here and say, well, clearly they didn't need Chris Sale in the next five years because Chris Sale is still pitching in baseball at a high level today, even though he's just coming off of Tommy John surgery. And every team could use a starter like Chris Sale. It doesn't matter if you're as bad as the Kansas City Royals or if you're as amazing as the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, every team could use a pitcher like Chris Sale. You know, you're never going to be so bad you can't use Chris Sale. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. But 
the White Sox were in a position where their talent has was or their roster was going to have to go through a sincere and severe amount of churn, and part of that would come at the expense of one of your top players. If you have, you know, 26, 25 guys on a roster that need to perform, and you've only got one good dude and like 14 question marks. Well, maybe you'll trade away that one dude to get three more answers. It's, it's a tough calculus, but the Dodgers, the Dodgers, the White Sox seem to have made a pretty good bet with this one. And let's take a look at what they did with their very next trade, which was one day later, December 7th. And this is another rather impactful, impactful one full of players. We still know today. And that's when they sent Adam Eaton to the uh, Washington nationals in exchange for Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunning. Now, Dane Dunning is currently on the Texas Rangers, so his trajectory in terms of how it affects the present-day Chicago White Sox, I'm not saying it doesn't matter because all transactions matter, and you know we'll get to him when we get to him. But Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez are two guys who are, again, are still on the White Sox and still performing, I mean, pretty fucking well. Lucas Giolito had a bunch of question marks up until his 2019 breakout when he finished uh, sixth in Cy Young voting and is having finished seventh the year after in 2020 and pro- probably isn't having a top five Cy Young vote season this year, but he might end up finishing in the top 10 again. He's having himself a, a pretty nice year. Uh, he's certainly cemented himself a starting rotation. He's a, he's a top three starter for that team he, he, uh, in a real sense and in an obvious, you know, kind of, he deserves that way. <laughs> and Ronaldo Lopez has been a guy for them that will pitch innings for them this season. He's been unreal since he's come back from injury, um, but he is there. And honestly, you take that because if Adam Eaton was still there, he probably wouldn't be there. So I think that's worth something. Corwin, um, what do you think about this? This one in, in looking back at it. I mean, again, it's hard not to really hate on the return. Um, You know, it's one of those things where obviously Dane Dunning was a a piece to acquire even more, so it's hard to include. But my goodness, it's, uh, you know, I still think it's a favorable return. Yeah, so I mean... Over the course of two days in December of 2016, the White Sox managed to turn two guys that were not going to help them in their immediate future because they were not in a position to do so in the division that was, I guess, actually looking strong mm-hmm. for a change and turned them into four guys that were going to produce for them in the moment and then three additional pieces that would eventually become players to include in other packages, I guess is probably the easiest way of saying that. And fuck, man, that's a hell of a thing to do, especially over the course of literally two fucking days. So the rest of the window goes on. White Sox don't don't do too much in terms of trades. Before we move on, can we just look at uh, Adam Eaton's war uh, since then? Adam Eaton? Yeah, what did I say? No, I I just want to make sure I heard you. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Um, all right. Well, I was still in the process. I thought it was gonna be a lot longer. Uh, so 2016 finishes the season with the White Sox with 6.6 war. Highest of his career. Highest of his career. That being said, the previous years were 4.1 and 5.2. Two very, very good or three, I should say. God. So three total very good years of war trending in the right direction. 
still a 27 year old in the you know prime of his career in the four years since in 1600 plate appearances he's put up 2.2 war yeah 4.5 or negative 3.5 d war the man the man could only hit in chicago i'm sure we could also look at the totals for dunning lopez and um giolito but i think we understand the how that would go yeah well this is just ugly as shit to look at I guess it's not none of its truly terrible production, but man, it's not it's not what you were probably hoping or expecting if you were um, a Nationals fan after looking at what this man had managed to accomplish in his time with the White Sox. So, yuck! Ugh. All right. So over the rest of the course of the winter, uh, they really didn't do too much. March rolls around, season just about underway. They managed to uh, also. Send Peter Bourgeois, Bourgeois, a right fielder, over in exchange for cash. That's nothing. Uh, another minor trade during the season. They acquired future considerations from uh, Washington Nationals in exchange for Ryan Rayburn. And then July, as we're approaching the trade deadline, they makes they they makes they make a handful of pretty decent, pretty significant moves. So this is now the 2017 season. So just a real quick look at the 2017 Chicago White Sox that year. They finished 67 and 95, still finishing but fourth in the AL Central, which is hilarious because they had 11 fewer wins and finished in the exact same place. Oh, God, don't you love baseball? Yeah, you got to love Detroit, who went from 86 and 75 in 2016 to 64 and 98 in 2017. They lost 21 more games. Actually, they lost 23 more games than than uh, in 2016. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's uh, hmm. just fucking impressive, my friend. God damn. It very much is. I Well, all right, I'm going to stop looking at it because I'm going to get sucked into it. Uh, so I'll, I'll do a, a recap of the 2017 White Sox after we finish looking at these trades. But around the trade deadline, Jose Quintana, who had been a very productive member of the Chicago White Sox and had been, um, for all intents and purposes, especially once they traded away Chris Sale, the ace of that team, uh, in 2017, when he was with the White Sox, he had been an all-star. He had pitched 104 innings. He had gone 4-8 and eight with a 4.49 ERA, but it was a little bit oh, – sorry, it was, a, it was an all-star in 2016, I should say. But it was um, – you know, you forgive it a little bit because he was he had a career under three, under four ERA. His ERA by season with the White Sox, 3.76, 3.51, 3.32, 3.36, So this year being 4.49, you, they're willing to overlook it as a little bit of a aberration. Um, he already amassed over 100 strikeouts up to that point. So this was a big trade for the Cubs because they were getting ready to try to go back to the uh, back to the World Series, make another make another run. And um the White Sox are just looking to, again, get talent where they can get it. And he ended up having a good season for the Cubs the rest of the way down the stretch. He went 7-3, and three, a 3.74 ERA in 84 innings, um, and got almost another 100 strikeouts, finishing with 98 for the Cubs. So, by all means, a good trade for them at the, at the time. Uh, his career since then has spiraled a bit, but that's not anyone's fault per se. 
And in exchange for sending him to their crosstown rival, the Cubs, the Cubs, the White Sox acquired Eloy Jimenez, Dylan Cease, and then two other prospects, Matt Rose and Bryant Fleet. But Eloy Jimenez has absolutely, um, I keep saying cemented a spot. I really don't know what other phrase to use there. <laughs> so I feel like I'm just going to keep saying earned his keep. Maybe that's a better turn of phrase uh, mm-hmm. with the White Sox. Uh, bursting out of the scene, finishing fourth in Rookie of the Year voting in 2019, hitting a 139 OPS plus in his sophomore season, 2021 in 2020, and uh, in 2021 he has kept it going with an OPS plus of 136. So I mean, he has been very fucking good for the White Sox, and Dylan Cease is is really starting to find his own. I mean, last season he had a 4.01 ERA to the with a uh, 6.36 FIP. So that you might be leaving that season being kind of like, ooh, mm. all right, that four point oh one whatsoever with the baseball. Yeah, he led. Uh, he led all of the AL in walks. Not not good. Uh, he had he had thirty five walks allowed in twenty nineteen in seventy three innings, and thirty four walks allowed in twenty twenty in fifty eight innings. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but 2021, he's really turned around. Like his ERA is very similar. It's 3.92. So it's it's not crazy lower. But his FIP, and again, I know this is a relatively lazy analysis, as I always say when comparing ERA to FIP, but it is can it is it is easy. It, it's lazy, but it's easy. And so here you go. Um, but his FIP is 3.57 and his whip is also down tremendously. Uh, his rate stats look better. He he seems it's it's a very different basically for ERA than it was last season. And he's really turned a corner and made himself a productive member of that pitching staff. So uh, Corwin, tell me about this trade for you. Uh, I mean, look, Cease has definitely shown that he can do it. I mean, he had a a sub three ERA going into June uh, and things just kind of slowly have been teetering up and down since then. Um, Eloy Jimenez, I mean, mean, come on. He is a part of that outfield core. That's just going to be, unstoppable i mean they also signed luis robert this offseason you know earlier before or not offseason this season um but the other two guys don't even matter quintana has been again just like eaton just a dead piece of capital since that trade sure it helped in the short term but my goodness major win for them major yeah yeah i mean Again, they, they are they are quickly, quickly accumulating guys who are going to be major contributors to contributors for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess let's let's go on and continue here. So after that, trade deadline still approaching this 2017 season. They end up making a trade with the New York Yankees, sending over third baseman Todd Frazier and then relief pitchers David Robertson and Tommy, Tommy Canely. Uh, and they acquired in exchange Tyler Clippard, relief pitcher, an outfielder by the name of Blake Brotherford, starting pitcher Ian Clark, and oh, uh, Tito Polo, who was an 80-grade baseball name, who I don't think ever did anything. I'm looking Tito Polo up now. He made a smile with his name, Josh. What did you want? Uh, yeah, Tito Polo is in indie ball yeah he last played Listen. affiliated ball with seattle in 2019 that's it 
listen, now he's making 35 people in Indie Ball smile with his name every time he goes up. What more could you ask from him? What more could you ask for? Uh, yeah, Ian Clark is currently with Colorado Rockies AA team, by the looks of it, or maybe their AAA team, actually. Baseball reference is always a little bit funky for me with that. Uh, ooh, an 8.77 ERA in AAA. That's not good. Uh, Josh? Yeah? Can we, uh, can we reach out to Tito Polo and get him on the podcast? Why is that? I don't know. I just feel like he's someone we could get. Um, speaking of someone we could get, I looked up Blake Rutherford on Baseball Reference, and in a rare t- turn of events, his name didn't even come up. I mean, that never happened. Okay, well, hold on. I found him. I got him. I found him. He is I was not playing- expecting that. That was fantastic. Oh, he is still with the White Sox. He's on their AAA team um, in Charlotte. He currently He's- has a 705 OPS. He's actively playing for them in triple a and he yeah. can't be found on google Ooh. uh baseball reference it took me a minute oh sorry yeah and then uh, the getting tyler clippard back is kind of i mean they they took tyler clippard i think uh, to get the, him away from the yankees and uh, to maybe eat some of his salary um but really this is about the prospects none of these prospects ended up panning out but uh it's still not the worst thing to move on from I will say relatively more expensive players. Uh, and not that this is a huge, huge trade, but it's still, I think, a good, a, a positive move for the White Sox here as they just, you know, kind of open up space for the younger players, stock the farm up a little bit, um, and, you know, get some money off the books. What do you think? Sounds about right. Suck my dick. It's a money game. Yep. Uh, the next couple of trades as we finish out the, the trade deadline of 2017, not horribly interesting. Uh, they sent over cash considerations to the Mariners in exchange for Jean Machi, Machi, I'm not sure, and Mark Lau, two relief pitchers. No idea who they are. Uh, they acquired Ryan Cordell from the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for Anthony Swarzak who I think is still in baseball. I th- would put money on it, yeah. Yes, he's currently with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and if you had made me guess that, I never would have. <laughs> um, his ERA this season between the Royals and the Diamondbacks is 9.49. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> Oof. Oof is right, my friend. Oof oh, is right. Oh, that's scary. Oh, that's scary. He's 35. I think he's probably done after this year. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Anthony. Uh, they also made a trade acquiring Casey Gillespie, the first baseman from the Tampa Bay Rays for Dan Jennings, a relief pitcher. Uh, neither of those names really, I think, mean all too much. And they close out the trade deadline by acquiring A.J. Puckett and Andre Davis from the Kansas City Royals in exchange for Melky Cabrera. And $2.6 million to, I guess, cover the rest of Cabrera's contract. Um, any of those guys move the needle for you? Not really. Not really. Yeah. Uh, AJ Puckett no. is uh, 
It currently plays for Atlanta and their double A team. 26 got 3.5, 3.15 ERA and double A. So he's, he's, he's doing some, some work down there. Um, but you know, the rest of these are kind of is what they is style trades. Milky Cabrera. What I, about Milky? I feel like he's just a meme at this point. I don't remember watching him when he was really all that great, but he's been around forever or at least was around forever. And I don't know what is the correct opinion to hold of him. Like, it's hard to gauge this without um, knowing. He is a corner outfielder. He was a he was a heavy and slow corner outfielder who occasionally hit well. That was it. That's really the best I got. I remember him from his Yankees years. Uh, it, they were not great. And then now I have his base reference. Oh, whoa, they were okay. So his Yankees years are a lot worse than I remember. <laughs> that yeah, that's sixty-eight OPS plus in two thousand eight. I do not recall. <laughs> oh man, um, he ended up having There's not a really... lot of three-digit numbers there. No, um, he had some really good seasons. Apparently, 2011, 2012, uh, 2014, 2016. Surprisingly, 2018, he turned in some good stuff. But yeah, I mean, he was it was it was a fine player for for a long time, and that's again that is a major accomplishment when it comes to the world of baseball. So, hats off to you, Mister Melky. It's uh it's surprising to see a player that breaks out in his sixth year of Major League Baseball after playing a whole lot of complete seasons. Yeah, amazing. It didn't stand. Stand to the test of time. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? All right. Well, let's get into uh, the off season. Well, so a couple other waiver transactions that don't really matter. The the Chicago got Steven Johnson from the Orioles on August 9th. Ryan Burr from the Diamondbacks August 11th. Tyler Clipper went to the Astros on the 14th of August. Uh, and then September rolled around and Chicago acquired Tequan Forbes in, from Texas in exchange for Miguel Gonzalez, who, again, you know, these are these are relatively more insignificant trades. The offseason that year opened up with uh, actually home before we get into the offseason. Let's take a look at how that team shook out at the end of it. So the 2017 Chicago White Sox, again, in terms of their lineup, their lineup going to be by plate appearance at that position that will determine how these lineups, how these lineups look. They're starting catcher that season or the starting catcher they had with the most plate appearances was Omar Narvaez. First baseman, still Jose Abreu. Second baseman, Yolmer Sanchez. Shortstop, Tim Anderson. Third baseman, Todd Frazier. Left fielder, Melky Cabrera. Center fielder, Adam Engel. Right fielder, Avisail Garcia. And DH, Matt Davidson. So some of these names we already know basically had had left, but we're starting to see, uh, I think it's, 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 this is going to be probably the most in flux. We'll see this lineup as, as we know that some, some turnover is a coming here. The starting pitching that season was Derek Holland, who had they, whom they had signed in the off season, Miguel Gonzalez, Mike Pelfrey, James Shields, Jose Quintana and Dylan Covey. Uh, closer was mm-hmm. David Robertson that season. So again, there's a lot of guys that we know are going to be gone once we come, once it comes time to look at the 2018 version of this team. So let's take a look at that 2017 off season heading into the 2018 season. 
Um, they really didn't have any exciting signed free agent signings. They signed James McCann to a one-year deal, and they signed re-signed Huge. Miguel Gonzalez to a one-year deal. Yeah, yeah right. Wow, woo wee. Um, and then in January, they signed Kelvin Herrera, who's a relief pitcher, to a two-year and eighteen million dollar deal, and John Jay, who felt eternal at one point, um, to a one-year four million dollar contract. Oh my God! Oh, I totally forgot about the whole lot. Do you remember why they signed John Jay? Uh, no. They signed John Jay because he was the brother-in-law of Manny Machado. Oh, right. Remember that? Yes. They gave him $4 million just to try to get Machado to consider their team. <laughs> oh, I God, totally I remember that. I totally fucking forgot about that. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> yeah, take that, White Sox, and all your play. Oh, they are going to the playoffs, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, well. So that's what that was their offseason free agent oh, signings. You make me sad. I make you sad because it's fun, buddy. Um, in turn, <laughs> I'm so sorry. They started off the offseason at post winter meetings with a bang. They ended up uh, in a three team trade with the Royals and the Dodgers, in which the White Sox acquired Joaquin Soria, a relief pitcher, and Luis Avalon, a relief pitcher, and also $3 million. The Kansas City Royals acquired Trevor Oaks, who was a starting pitcher, and Eric Mejia. And the Dodgers acquired Scott Alexander and Jake Peter. And I can't confidently say I know any of these names offhand, except for Joaquin Soria. Do you feel like you do? I know Joaquin Soria. Luis Avalon looks relatively familiar, so I'm going to look him up. But I don't think this is... Even though it's a three-team trade, I, I don't think I care. Hey, three years after a trade and you acquire the only guy who you couldn't even remotely resemble, um, that's the win. You don't need to be a scout to really kind of piece those together. That, that That's fair enough. Yeah, Joaquin Soria that season pitched uh, 38 innings for the White Sox, a 2.56 ERA. That's pretty nice. All right. Hey, can, we, uh, can we not skip over the fact that in December – just prior to this, they drafted Yerman Mercedes, the first half champion of MLB baseball in the Rule 5 draft. Oh, do you have their um their draft stuff up? Because I don't have that stuff up. Oh, I, I just have the baseball reference page open, which has the draft stuff. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at Spot Track. We, Corey and the I, spot, have many did tabs. Did Spot Track have the uh, Luis Robert signing um, on there? No, because I think that's a different section because it's an international signing. Got it. Well, they signed him this July of, or sorry, May of 2017. Yeah. All right, this works out. We have a new division of labor we're figuring out on the fly where you'll do drafts and free agent and international, and I've got trades sure. and local signings, domestic, domestic, domestic transactions. That sounds still very shady. All right. Oh, um, boy. So the rest of this season, really not too much interesting stuff happens at the top. Uh, they acquire Jose Rondon from the Padres in exchange for cash on January 10th. Their next trade is then also with the Padres when they get Diego Goris, the third baseman. Do you know either of those names? No. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I don't – like, I'm going to double-check that I don't know who Jose Rondon is. No. Okay. He has a career negative one war um, in four seasons. 
I have no idea who this is. Actually, he played in 55 games for the White Sox that year, and I have no idea who this guy is. What? All right. All right. All right. Whatever. Whatever. Um, I'm, I'm completely oh just God. thrown off. What? We'll get there. It's just we'll get there. All right. it's, it's a tangent I will have to take us on just because of the absurdity and prevalence. I'm sure. There's a bunch of one-player trades in here. Uh, I'm just going to list the players and the teams. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Uh, the White Sox sent to Philadelphia Dean Anna, then a couple on the same day, a different trade. The Phillies send back over to the White Sox Ricardo Pinto. Uh, the White Sox send over to Milwaukee, Tyler Saladino. If there's no return, it's just money. Uh, on April 19th, mm-hmm. the White Sox send uh, acquire Trace Thompson from the A's. Uh, then uh, a couple weeks later, they acquire Todd Cunningham from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Then a couple months after that, they send Brad Goldberg over to the Diamondbacks. And then we get and to I will stop you there. The Diamondbacks. No, I will stop you before we get to the draft. Okay. So that was June 3rd, uh, the Brad Goldberg trade. June 4th was the MVP draft. Where in the first round, fourth overall, they Madrigal. That's right. Now, I know Nick Madrigal will come up later when we have these discussions. I just need to read off the list of players in the first round of this draft and some other key pieces to kind of highlight the relevance of this trade. So Casey Mize goes first overall, having a very nice year with the Tigers this year. Joey Bart goes number two, number two catcher in all of, you know, the minors right now. Basically, as soon as Buster Posey retires, he's getting past that key to the city. Alex Bohm at number three, having a pretty nice year last year with the Phillies and not nearly as good this year, but whatever. Then Nick Madrigal. And then Jonathan India, who's having a very oh, nice yeah. season with the Reds. Reds yeah. Jared Kelenic, who's having a, a historically awful season with the Mariners, but at the same time was also a top three prospect in all of baseball. So there's hope there for sure. He's batting 147. That's really bad. He has like 150 plate appearances. It's bad. Yeah. And then Ryan Weathers, who, who is a top prospect pitching-wise for the Padres. And then what I groaned about earlier, after Carter Stewart, who is a, you know, didn't sign, but whatever. The Athletics drafted Kyler Murray. Oh, that's right. That was this Which, year. at the time, it's like, all right, baseball drafts. Sure, I don't know much about it. It's a, you know, even more of a dart throw than you would have in the NFL or other sports. But holy fucking shit, I can't believe they drafted him ninth overall. Yeah. Travis Swaggerty at 10. Grayson Rodriguez. Grayson Rodriguez. I'm sorry. Logan Gilbert. Cole Wynn. Matthew Liberator. Jordan Adams. Brady Singer. Nolan Gorman. Trevor Larnock. There's so many. Nico Horner went 24. Tristan Costa. Like, there are so many top prospects in this draft. That were skipped over for a guy who was almost certainly playing football. What are you doing? 
That's it. What in the what the fuck are you doing? Welcome to Billy Beanball. He wasn't even remotely close to that kind of prospect. He didn't even play baseball all that much. <laughs> oh man, that's, I dude, I was wondering. What it was just a side project before. for this guy. I was wondering what you're going to stop this for, and I completely forgot that that had happened. Man, this is a weird trip down memory lane because some of this shit we talked about on this podcast. Yeah. Like, I remember our conversation about that on this podcast, and I completely, like, once you take out the the parameters in which you're typically viewing some events through, it is so Mm. hard to, like, wrap your brain around them. Like, I... I know that we're in that time period of White Sox baseball of our, or of uh, baseball in general, and you know that was such a big story in ball at the time, and I completely forgot about it. And I know we, you know, shit talked it at the time because obviously he was picking football, but it was also him surrounded by a bunch of prospects who, outside of you know Casey Mize, Joey Bart, we didn't know any of these people. I had never heard of anyone else in this draft. I, you know, didn't follow baseball nearly as close as I do now. It, it meant nothing to me. Now knowing and having that context and seeing what these players, you know, what level of skill they were at, is fucking outrageous. Man, I love baseball. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All right, so let's keep it going. July 26th rolls around. We are in the midst of the trade deadline and recently acquired Joaquin Soria is heading over to the Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for Cody Medeiros and Wilbur Perez. What does this mean for the White Sox? Basically fucking nothing, but they got prospects back in exchange for major league talent. You take that most days. Uh, then they make a trade with the Yankees, where the Yankees acquired $1.5 million of international bonus pool money in exchange for Caleb Fair heading over to the White Sox. Again, doesn't mean too much. And then the White Sox make a very similar trade with the Rays in which they acquired Hunter Shriver. August rolls around. They make a trade sending Luis Avalon, the other guy that we felt like we almost kind of knew from that offseason three-way trade over to the Phillies in exchange for Felice, Felice Polino. Uh, and then later on, they make another trade with the Brewers where they get Brian Connell and Johan Dominguez in exchange for Javier Cedino. Uh, and that takes us all the way through to the end of the season. Your 20... 18 Chi-Town White Sox would finish the season as such. We still have Omar Narvaez as a starting catcher, although we know he won't be lasting very long there as these brewer-happy trades are likely to continue or signings at the very least. Uh, At first base, we still have Jose Abreu there, still doing himself very well, doing very well for himself. We have Yohan Mankata now slotted in at second base. Uh, shortstop still Tim Anderson, third baseman Yomer Sanchez. That infield is starting to look very, very familiar. That outfield is still pretty in flux as their left fielder that year was Nicky Delmonico. <laughs> Center fielder was Adam sure. Engel. Right fielder, Avisayo Garcia, DH, Matt Davidson. Their starting rotation by the end of the season by innings pitched was James Shields, Reynaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Kobe, and Carlos Rodon. Their closer that year was Joaquim Soria until he got traded. And you look at that rotation, you look at that infield, and all of a sudden you see these trades. Like, they're they're making a, an impact on the major league level rather quickly as Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Giolito, uh, and Dylan Covey were all acquired via the trade. I've said Dylan Covey's name a little bit co- more confidently than I met, probably meant to because I don't remember if he did already, even though I just read these names moments ago. But who the fuck knows? 
Who the fuck knows indeed? Because it's uh, actually, he's, not, he's not he's not listed here, so I don't think they acquired him via trade. <laughs> yeah, I think I made that one up, Corwin. <laughs> if you didn't say anything, nobody would have caught it. Oh no. <laughs> That's okay. All right, so then let's take a look into our next upcoming offseason. And this one, the, the uh, uh, fucking White Sox are looking to make a splash. They ended up finishing that 2018 season in um, fourth place again, going 62 and 100. But no, no one makes the White Sox lose 100 games twice. They'll do that once and then move on. That's not how they roll. We must continue to grow in 2019. And so the White Sox went out and made a slew of signings, starting with Yasmani Grandal signing a four-year $73 million contract in November of 2019. They were not done there. They then signed Gio Gonzalez to a one-year $5 million contract in December. Two days later, shoring up the starting rotation a little bit more by signing Dallas Keuchel to a three-year $55 million contract and then filling out their DH position with Edwin Encarnacion, a one-year $12 million contract. A couple other minor signings in Steve What Sisak. year are we in? 2019. We're going into the 2019 season. So this is the 2019. Oh, hold on. December 2019. Oh, I went too far. Oh, no. Sorry, buddy. Encarnacion was January 2020. Yeah. I, I went... was December 2019. Yeah. Yeah, I skipped an entire year. That happened last year, too, where I was confused. Yeah. Um, like, John Jay was signed this offseason yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, because... Here, so, yeah. Go, off, go off of this list. No, no, I, I see where I made my, my, my crucial error. Well, I'm just saying. Whoopsie-daisy. There you go. Boom, boom, boom. Anywho. So then this offseason... Oh, fuck. All right. <laughs> This offseason was Calvin Herrera and John Jay. That's uh, and Yasmani Grandal. No. No. Just just Calvin Herrera and John Jay. Yeah, that's it. Okay. All right. I've caught myself. We're all good. Uh, in terms of trades, they traded Justin Yurchak to the Dodgers in exchange for Manny Banuelos. No idea who that is. Uh, and now here goes Omar Narvaez getting sent over to the Seattle Mariners in exchange for Alex Colomay. We'll come back to that in a second. Uh, let's finish out the offseason trade moves. They uh, end sir, up. It's pronounced Cologne. Is it? I guess there's no I accent over I, the I E. Don't, I don't. I have, I have no idea. I just wanted to be a dick. Yes. Then I can feel like a big man. It did. Then I can feel like a fucking mostly big guy. Be, mostly because I am a very big man. I mean, you're tall, but are you, are you big? Are you asking or is my wife asking? What? What? I I have no response to that. <laughs> yeah, fine. Right. Oh, okay. Um, so anyway, finishing out their offseason trades, they acquired Ivan Nova from the Pirates in exchange for Jordi Rosario. Uh, they then sent over Jordan Romano, who made a big impression on the Blue Jays earlier this season, over to Texas, the Rangers, in exchange for cash. They acquired Yonder Alonso from Cleveland in exchange for Alex Call. They uh, acquired Paulo Orlando from the Dodgers in exchange for cash. Um, 
Oh, shit, that was May. So I, I blew past. <laughs> I'm so disorganized. I blew right past uh, the end of the uh, winter signings. So, Corwin, a lot of these don't matter. Yes. Let's start with the one of the ones that's actually interesting. What do you think about this Alex Colome, Alex Colome, however we're supposed to pronounce his name, for Nomar Arvaez, who had been a very productive member of the White Sox team in this last season with the White Sox posting a 119 OPS getting sent over to Seattle. And Alex Colome, it is Colome. Suck my dick. It is Colome, bitch. Um, coming off of also a very productive season in Seattle, a 2.53 ERA that season. Um, I mean, having no opinion of these men before this occurred and having to just look at statistics, uh, he had quite a good season last year, despite only pitching in 22 innings. Had a 5.58 ERA plus. Good job, Colobe. Um, I mean, by all means, both of these guys seem like similar quality of players with Narvaez being a all-star, um, somewhat above average catcher and Colome being a somewhat above average relief pitcher. Um, granted, Narvaez seems to have a better deal or better production and a better, whatever it, neither of them have exploded positively or negatively since and has been valuable for what they do i can't really argue for or against that yeah i, I uh, think... actually colombia has a negative one war this year i take it back he's been awful kill him Adjust yeah him well he, had, he went to minnesota and minnesota's had pitching problems out the wazoo so i'm not even gonna yeah. necessarily blame that on him um really I think part of that analysis also has to be the fact that they signed James McCann this, this off season that we're talking about here. And so mm-hmm. it's, is the value that playing Omar Narvaez over James McCann, is that value higher than playing uh, James McCann and Alex Colomay? I think that's the question you have to ask yourself. And clearly the White Sox made the determination, which I would think is probably the right one that you gain more value from having Alex Colomay and James McCann than just Omar Narvaez. So I would agree. Yeah. Seems like a fair kind of a fair move there. Uh, we then take this into the Ivan Nova trade. Uh, Jordi Rosario. He played for the pirates. Do you know that name? Mm, say it again. Jordi Rosario. No. no. Well, in 2019, he was in the Pittsburgh farm system in the Appalachian League, uh, and that's rookie ball. He posted a 2.87 ERA, and then I don't see anything for him in 2020 because there was no minor league ball, Does that makes sense. And this season, he's magically appeared in the Los Angeles rookie ball system with a cool nine ERA. Oh, he played in one game and allowed one earned run. Okay, so Jordan Rosario basically has not amounted to anything in major league level, so this is nothing but a good trade for the White Sox, basically, I would say. Especially since Ivan Nova ended up pitching, from what I recall, pretty decently for them that year. Oh, he started the most games in all of baseball last season. Yeah, so he played very well for them. (laughs) He had a 4.72 ERA, but he pitched a ton of innings for a team that needed someone to throw innings. That is a good trade. Touche. Okay. Uh, yeah, Jordan Romano, who gives a shit? Uh, all right, so then we get into the season. Our 2019 Chicago White Sox did not make a lot of moves. 
which makes sense. They don't have a lot of guys that really are going to garner too much attention on the open market at this point in time. They trade away a lot of their marquee guys. And now it's about development. So their transactions from the during the season trades amounts to just two. They traded for Paolo Orlando, whose name I read accidentally earlier, uh, and which they whom they acquired from the Dodgers in exchange for cash. And then on July 31st, at the end of the trade deadline, they acquired Joseph Harensky and Ray Castro from the Rangers in exchange for Nate Jones. And when I tell you, I don't know any of those three names. I don't know who the fuck these people are. I feel like I know Nate Jones, but solely because it is a very weird, very common name. Yeah. Nate Jones sounds like generic made up white man name. Correct. Which a lot do, but specifically that one currently on the Dodgers from the looks of it. Also, he's 35. He's been in baseball for oh. 10 years. I have no oh. idea who this is. I am very much with you. I have no idea. I've never heard he of played, that before in my He life. played for the White Sox for eight seasons. Yeah, I okay. have no idea who the fuck this is. I mean, not that I'm like a huge diehard White Sox fan. I like the team, but like, man, I, oh, sorry, Nate. Um, whoops, my bad. So anyway, that's so for, a solid. My bad, dude. <laughs> my bad, bro. So that's it. That's that, that. That's all the 2019 White Sox ended up doing. They ended the season that year at 72 and 89, third in the AL Central. Moving, move on up in the standings um, as they uh, in the 2019 past Kansas City, finishing just behind Cleveland and Minnesota, just behind finishing 21 games behind uh, Cleveland and then 30 games basically behind Minnesota. Um, but still, moving up in the standings, wanting to make a big, big old push. Uh, that offseason, now we, I, I can get my signings right. They tried to sign. Um, they did sign, I should say. Yes, Monte Grandal, Gio Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, Edwin Encarnacion, Steve Sisek, Adam. No, not Adam. That, that, that's going to be the 2020 signings. See, it has a thing. It just, it just keeps going, and I have to check the dates and remember where the season starts. It's my own fault. I have no one to blame but myself. Um <laughs> Although I'd love to blame someone else, but still. So yes, Grand- So they only had James McCann to a one-year deal. So they're upgrading massively a uh, catcher with Yaz, mm-hmm. getting a two reliable starting pitchers. And there was talk about whether or not the Dallas Keuchel signing was an overpay, which I think overpays exist but it under the right circumstances, I don't think they can exist in certain certain circumstances. And if you're trying to compete and you haven't spent a lot of money doing so, and you're trying to make a push, well, that's going to involve you spending money. Only one way about it. You know what I mean? So is what it is. What's what's a good recent example. I'm trying to think of one. Uh, Anthony Rendon to the Angels, maybe, but he was actually good. Like he warranted that. He's just been hurt. He was an MVP, yeah. Yeah, that, it's not quite the same. I mean, granted, we could say the same thing about Dallas Keuchel. He was so young, but uh, whatever. We all, everyone knew that that was not the person who should have won that Cy Young. <laughs> yeah. M- maybe you could say. Well, apparently, if you're Brody Van Wagen, you could say Zach Wheeler. <laughs> but Zach Wheeler is proving that he is worth every fucking Whoa. penny of that contract. So correct. Maybe Francisco Lindor, but he's also a very good player too. I don't think it's fair. Yeah. To like before either. that, yeah, you would, 
it's tough. Like it's really tough to see like a really ridiculous one that jumps out, at least in, in baseball. Yeah, at least that I can think of off, off the top. Um Ah, damn. Yeah, no, I'm I'm Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Uh I got I feel like I got someone on the tip of my tongue, but I can't think of it. Oh well, moving on. Uh so that's Dallas Keigel. Edwin Carnacion, he's been a great hitter for a long time. He was him and uh fucking Nelson Cruz were often talked about in the same sentence as being like, look at how old they are and look at how they still hit. Um, obviously Nelson Cruz has won that battle, even though he is like five years older than Edwin and Carnacion. But fucking still, man. And Carnacion was coming off of a pretty solid year in 2019 and 131 OPS plus he played half a year for Seattle, half a year for New York. Um, so fair enough assumption, it's fair enough signing for, for the white Sox trying to squeeze whatever they could out of him. Um, and then Steve Sisek, who gives a fuck, uh, then that who gives a fuck can also be applied to Adam. So they signed Steve Sisek and Connor Sadzik. Cool. I, I re- so one was on January 9th, one was on January 14th. I really truly believe some intern fucked up with like an email and they did not realize it for five days. That's like I told Ethan once that the Phillies had signed as Drupal Cabrera and he was like, wasn't he already on the team? And I was like, oh no, you must be thinking of Odubel Herrera. Because there was a point in time when the Phillies had his Drupal Cabrera and Odubel Herrera, and that's a hilarious combo. It absolutely is. Oh, those are, those yeah. are the things that just make baseball what it is. God. Every so every funny. name is just a random letter generator. <laughs> With like an accent. It, it, yeah. yeah. Nate Jones? Yeah, sure. That sounds like a guy who probably exists. Yep. Oh, it's Drupal Cabrera, Odubel Herrera, Tom Cabrera. Who knows? Uh, uh, all right. In terms of offseason trade acquisitions that year, they um, they ended up acquiring Jonah Reynolds from the White Sox in exchange for Wellington Castillo, the catcher. Uh, they also acquired Nomar Marzara from the Rangers a few weeks later for in exchange for Steel Walker. That's a hell of a name, Steel Walker. Uh, a prior trade. Uh, acquisition mentioned earlier they sent over to san francisco luis alexander basabi the outfielder uh, in exchange for cash oh wait shit sorry that's also in in the middle of the regular season so that was their only two offseason trades was the jonah reynolds and nomar mazara trades so that that's that's it that was their only yeah. that was that was their only trades mm-hmm. so then they played the whole season they didn't have any uh Trade deadline stuff. The, they had a couple of trades after the trade deadline, you know, for players who end up making it to waivers. Uh, so that's the Luis Alexander Basabe trade. And then another trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates on August 28th when they acquired Gerard Dyson in exchange for international bonus pool money. Um, whoop, whoop. Yeah. So really, all's quiet on the Western front here. Uh, Gerard Dyson ended up playing in 11 games for the White Sox that season. He got three hits in 10 at-bats. That is a batting average of 300, an OPS of 300, a slugging of 300, and I'm sorry, an OPS of 600, an OBP of 300, and an OPS plus of 67. Way to go, Gerard. Uh, Way to go. 
the 2019 White Sox ended up shaking out. I'm oh, sorry. I guess that would have been the 2020 White Sox then. Yeah, 2020 White Sox. My, my, my bad. I'm God, I got to start closing some of these tabs after we get through the seasons. <laughs> 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 so that would be right. I'm not wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the 2020 I, White Sox. I can't even follow. I've given up. We've gone through so many years. It's the 2020 White yeah. Sox. So in addition to all those things happening, um, Luis Robert ends up being called up. Eloy Jimenez being ends up being called up. Um, and so the end of their, by the end of their season, by plate appearances, the most, uh, their starters were catcher, Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu holding it down at first base. Nick Madrigal ends up getting called up as well. One of their draftees from just a couple years prior playing second, Tim Anderson at short, Yohan Mikata at third, Eloy Jimenez in left, Luis Robert in center, Nomar Mazzara in right, and Edwin Arcanacion DHing. The rotation ends up shaking out as Luis Ju- Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning, and Reynaldo Lopez, with their closer being Alex Colomay. Now, Corwin Heller, tell me about this team. Is this is this a pretty mean team? Pretty good. I'm sorry yeah. for everyone's ears. So this team makes the playoffs 2020 shortened season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. They finished 35 and 25 in a 60 game season, but still this team makes the playoffs. And honestly, I think even if you extrapolate this shit out to a, um, a full season, this team probably has the the ability to hold for a while. Obviously you got some good performances mm-hmm. out of some players who, you know, maybe weren't true talent to that level, looking at Dane Dunning in specific, but you know, still uh, they, Tie the, the the Cleveland team in the standings and, and win loss and, and tiebreakers. So they uh, well technically they finished behind Cleveland, I guess via tiebreaker, but finished the same record as them, um, thirty five and twenty five, and just that's just one game back of Minnesota. So they were really in the mix that whole year. Um, mm-hmm. And you know you look at you look at the construction of these players, and it's and it's such a nice and interesting mix of free agent acquisitions and free agent signings. So you have Yasmani Grandal holding down a catcher free agent signing that made an, a pretty immediate impact with this one twelve OPS plus Jose Abreu, who uh, Corbin, can you search that for me? I have to imagine he was signed by the white Sox. Like, like yeah. I don't know if drafted Jose Abreu because he's a lifetime white Sox. So I have to imagine that he had been acquired by the white Sox or like that's where it's his OG team. His OG team was signed by the Chicago White Sox as an amateur free agent on October 29th, 2013. Okay, there you go. So you got basically, we'll just say drafted for those guys, those types of guys. So you got free agent signing in Monica Grandel, Jose Abreu at first base, who you drafted, Nick Madrigal at second base, who you drafted, Tim Anderson, was he also a draft pick of the White Sox? Wow, he's as a defector from Cuba. Sorry to cut you off. Jose Abreu signed a six-year, $68 million deal in 2013. Love That's that for big. Him. That's big. Love Sorry, I, I missed everything you just said. Uh, Tim Anderson, was he drafted by the White Sox? Um, I want to say yes. I also uh, want to say yes. It's the only team he's ever played for professionally. Or in the majors, um, Drafted in the first round of the 2013 MLB draft. So, uh, so look at that. Your almost entire infield 
first, second, and short, all essentially drafted by you. Obviously, Jose Abreu slightly different, but for all intents and purposes. Yo Mankata, mm-hmm. who you have acquired via trade. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Nomar, Marz- Nomar Mazzaro, who you acquired via trade. All of whom... Well, Luis Robert, they signed. Sorry, sorry, Luis Robert, they, yeah, they, they, they signed. So in the same boat as Jose Abreu. Is it then, Robert again? So I, I, when I listened to the, to the Field of Dreams game, everybody said Robert, so I'm going to Robert. Okay. Yeah, I have to assume I'm wrong. Uh, and then sure. rounding it out, Easy. Edwin Encarnacion, a free agent signing. And that's really, I mean, because you can't buy teams. And it's not a matter of spending money. It's that it's just not going to work out for you. If you throw all of your money into signing teams, you're going to eventually sign. Uh, you're going to get to a point where you're throwing money at players who aren't worth the money and aren't going to contribute meaningful at-bats or innings pitch to your team. Settling all mm-hmm. of it into uh, hoping to luck in draft picks, aka what the Orioles are doing right now, isn't going to help you get any better any quicker because those guys are going to take a lot of time to actually mature and you know get better in the minor league system. And that process will take years for you to do. And if you don't end up turning any of your attention towards international talent, well, I mean, that's essentially going to the free agent market, but uh, or essentially going to a, a combination of the draft and free agent market where you can get guys that can contribute um, in an, almost a draft-like situation where it's kind of controlled in the way that free agency isn't because you have that international bonus pool money that you, mm-hmm. you can't spend an unlimited amount of it like you could if it was just regular free agency. But it's not regular free agency. So there's, you know, it, it the, the fact that the White Sox have done this with their starting lineup and been able to find really effectual players in all phases of their development process. It's, it's amazing. You can focus on the draft. You can focus on free agency. You can focus on trades, but you're not going to be able to build a contender with only one. The white Sox are just really good at all three. Yeah. And you know, th- this speaks to obviously not just the, the, the GM and the manager, but, the player development people, the scouts, uh, you know, pitching coaches, hitting coaches at the minor league level. Like this is really a systematic um, example of success here. Plus the leadership on the top, you know, having Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson really like holding down that locker room from day one in terms of what this mm-hmm. rebuild looked like for the White Sox. It really can't be understated. Absolutely. And then we turn up, we turn our attention to the, um, the pitching side of things. You got Lucas Giolito, who they traded for. Dallas Keuchel, whom they signed for in free agency, Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning, and Ronaldo Lopez that they all traded for as well, and Alex Kolomak. So, I mean, you're, you're also looking at, I mean, just really, really good scouting, good trades, good pitch development. And, you know, yeah, you shut out some money for Dallas Keuchel, but he ended up uh, this, the most recent season he made the playoffs just last year with a 1.99 ERA and 63.1 innings, which was the second most innings on the team. Mm-hmm. I it, it's it's hard to argue. Obviously, this season we'll get into a little bit because it's the most recent one, but it's hard to argue with at least that level of success and not having to start someone who would potentially be significantly worse in his stead. So that has that has a lot of value. Absolutely. Do you hear the ice cream truck going by my apartment? I absolutely do, and I really want ice cream. I might go get a milkshake after this. <laughs> All right, I'm buddy. All right, so that brings us to where we're going to be today. Mark's calling me. Mark Cohen? Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. 
So let's take a look. Let's get a little bit farther down in the process and see where those White Sox are today. So the offseason, the 2020 offseason heading into the 2021 season, the White Sox ended up acquiring Lance Lynn from the Texas Rangers on December 8th, five years and two days after they traded away their ace Chris Sale to the Chicago to the Chicago to the Boston Red Sox. They are now in the market for high level starting pitching and are acquiring Lance Lynn from the Texas Rangers in exchange for Dane Dunning and Avery Weems. That's a hilarious name. I'm sorry, Avery. Weems is a hilarious last name. Um, and man, if that is not so symbolic of their turnaround, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, they did as good of a rebuild as you could possibly ask for. Um, I mean, they weren't perfect all the way through, but boy, they they did so many things right. If you I, had to give me your favorite and least favorite transaction out of these, could you? Ooh, okay. My favorite one is probably the Adam Eaton trade. I would agree. Yeah, mm. I mean, pound mm. for pound, just for value's sake. Because obviously, getting a good return in the Chris Sale trade probably isn't as hard because Chris Sale is obviously a top level talent. So that if you're not, if you're not getting something good in return, then you're just like, you're an idiot. It's not even like you did a good job. If you get good stuff in return, you're, you're, if you didn't, you'd be a right. fucking moron. Um, the Adam Eaton trade, obviously, you know, he was very good at the time. So you'd expect to get good stuff back, but, but they ended up getting back. I mean, so they got, they got Lucas Giolito, who's a top three starter for them. Reynaldo Lopez, who is a combination back end starter or middle reliever for them who's like very good. He's like there, Chad Green, I guess, um, if he, when he's not starting. And then Dane Dunning, who they turned in to Lance Lynn. I mean, I, that is just an unmatched value. Right. Uh, in terms of their worst trade for, for me, I don't, there's nothing really bad. Maybe maybe the the Todd Frazier, David Robertson, Tommy Canley trade, because they just didn't really get anything back there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like I said, there's an element of getting payroll off your books or you know opening up space for your call-ups to play that is good but uh i don't know it's just eh in terms of uh, improving the roster situation what about you um well I, it's hard to disagree with either one of your points i think their best and worst trade uh is trading fernando tatis for james shields I knew you were going to bring this shit up eventually. Yeah, no, you had to. I knew you were because we are talking all positive about the White Sox, and they traded away the MVP of baseball for the next fourteen years. The most so. valuable MVP of, of baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, Corbin actually asked if we could start with the Fernando Tatis Jr. trade instead of the um, Chris Sale trade, and I told him it didn't make for you know sense in in, a, in the timeline and he was yeah. sad so i was expecting this to happen i got it in there that's you got all it that in matters. there <laughs> that's what he said yeah use a bitch uh oh yeah all right so then let, let, let's get to this so so the lancelin trade we, we got that they then acquired uh tyler ne- nesliny from atlanta for future considerations they then acquired uh, Davey Grulon, Gruyon, 
uh, catcher from Tampa for cash considerations. Uh, uh, oh, sorry. These are all midseason, I should say. So Lancelin was the only trade that they had in, in the offseason. God, I hate that I keep doing this to myself. It is, I have no one to blame but myself. Uh, they also signed in the offseason uh, of, uh, of that season. They also signed Adam Eaton to a one-year deal that he ended up, you know, he's currently on the Angels. Um, Liam Hendricks, they signed to a three-year $54 million contract, and they uh, re-signed Carlos Rodon to a one-year $3 million contract, and he would end up throwing a no-hitter just a few months later. <laughs> so um, yeah. then during the course of the season was when they acquired uh, Tyler Lesney, Nelsony on July 12th. July 15th, they acquired Davey Grion. Um, July 29th, really when the trade deadline was heating up a lot, we talked about the, these next ones uh, a few times. They, was, they acquired Cesar Hernandez from the Cleveland team in exchange for Connor, Connor Pilkington. They acquired Ryan Tapera from Chicago, from the Cubs in exchange for Bailey Horn. And then their, their big blockbuster, it was when they sent uh, Nick Madrigal and Cody Hewer over to the Cubs in exchange for Craig Kimbrell. So as it stands today, looking at the 2021 Chicago White Sox roster. They're currently, as I said at the top of this show, in first place by a good 10-game margin. They're 20 games over 500, 75 and 55. Their current uh, roster uh, is now that he's returned, Yasmani Grandal, a catcher, Jose Abreu at first. Nick Magical still has the most played appearances for them at second base, but I guess their current second baseman would be Cesar Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Then Tim Anderson at short. Yo Mankata has been hurt a few times, but he is still by plate appearances. They're starting third baseman. Andrew Vaughn, who they drafted, worked his way up through the minors, got called up and has been playing left field for them. Two-time Golden Spikes winner. Two-time Golden Spikes winner, Andrew Vaughn. Luis Robert has been holding it down with a 145 OPS plus in center field, been playing some very good defense to boot. Um, Adam Eden, by plate appearances, is still their starting right fielder, although um, Eloy Jimenez... He was a finalist twice, though. Sorry. Oh, ah, oh, that still that's good enough for me. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, though, is is back, um, so that is going to be his spot moving forward. He's been very good. Yermin Mercedes by plate appearances is also their DH, but that's been a rotating spot. Brian Goodwin's been there a little bit. Jake Lamb's been there a little bit. You know, these guys that kind of play all over a little bit um, while the other guys have been resting and you know have occupied the DH spot. So looking at that uh, that roster, for all intents and purposes, I'm just going to say it again. For all intents and purposes, Yasmani Grandal, Nick – all right, sorry. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu at first, uh, Cesar Hernandez at second, Tim Anderson at short, Yoram Mankata at third, Andrew Vaughn in left, Luis Robert in center, Eloy Jimenez in right, and then fucking, I don't know, Brian Goodwin as your DH, or Lurie Garcia, who gives a shit. Um, what do you think about that, that lineup? It's a good lineup. That's all you got? <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. I mean, what more can I add in? I mean, it's self-evident looking at those names, looking at that list of this team that's been put together. Like, it's one of the best teams in baseball. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I, and it, it gets better when you look at their starting rotation, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, by innings pitch, I would actually would have expected this to be Lance Lynn, but Lance Lynn has the fourth most innings pitched on the out of the rotation. That's actually kind of wild. Hmm. Um, yeah, right. It feels like he just chucks seven innings every start. I don't think so. He must though. He must have missed. He must have been hurt because he only has twenty three starts as compared to Giolito and Cease's twenty six starts. So he's missing at least three starts. 
Mm. Um, but their rotation has been Lucas Giolito, 3.68 ERA. Dylan Cease, 3.92 ERA. Dallas Keuchel, who's pitching to a 5 ERA this season. It's been a rough year for Dallas Keuchel. Lance Lynn, a 2.2 ERA. Carlos Rodon, a 2.43 ERA. And out of the bullpen, their closer has been Liam Hendricks, who's been phenomenal with his 3.25 ERA. And now he basically is like platooned with Craig Kimbrell, who has been bad for the White Sox so far with a 7.15 ERA. Really bad. Um, yeah. But he has been good overall this season, so you'd expect it to smooth out a little bit. When he was with the Cubs before coming over to the White Sox, his ERA was 0.49. So his ERA for the season overall is 2.06. So you'd expect that 7 <laughs> That's 7.15 year ready to come on down. Uh, and they still also have coming out of the bullpen, Garrett, Garrett Crotchet, who's having a good season. Uh, Craig Kim, uh, not Craig, Ryan Tapera, who's been having a good season for them. Reynaldo Lopez, who's back from injury and been, been phenomenal with his 1.59 ERA. So the bullpen's looking really good as well. So really just pitching wise, White Sox have been doing pretty fucking all right. What do you think about uh, arguably the pitching would be the worst aspect of their team, seeing as their offense is just so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Especially when healthy. They haven't even been healthy all season. Yeah, I and again, you know, like who whoever is healthy all season, but it's 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 just wild to see this type of turnaround from them. I mean, they are obviously they're not one of the they're not the best team in baseball. You know, that's I probably still reserved for the Dodgers at this point in time, or maybe the Giants. I don't want to say the Yankees because that seems a little bit too homerish. I don't think you can really pick an AL team for that because the AL seems a little bit too competitive for that top spot, you know, between like the Rays, the Astros, the Yankees, um, but, uh, and the White Sox, but the White Sox still are forming a, a very, very good team in a division where you don't have to be necessarily phenomenal to kind of hold on forever, you know? Right. Um, before we move on, just to mention it, we talked about Andrew Vaughn and his 2018 Golden Spikes Award list. The hit rate for like the correlation between MLB success and winning the Golden Spikes Award is ludicrous. Like in the in for the Heisman Trophy, like it's a fairly consistent, you know, fairly accurate line. But just going backwards. Kevin Copps this year, Adley Rushman, Andrew Vaughn, Brendan McKay, Kyle Lewis, Andrew Benatendi, AJ Reed, Chris Bryant, Mike Zanino, Trevor Bauer, Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, Buster Posey, David Price, Tim Lincecum, Alex Gordon, Jared Weaver, Ricky Weeks, Khalil Green, Mark Pryor, Kip Boaknight, Jason Jennings, Pat Burrell, JD Drew, guys I don't know just as well, but Jason Veritick, Phil Nevin, Robin Ventura, Jim Abbott, Will Clark, Terry Francona. Why not? Bob Horner. <laughs> Just wild. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, it's, it's something that is like, oh, yeah, obviously the best player in college is going to be a good baseball player, but in every other league, there's guys who win the award that don't turn out great that don't end up carrying over to professional level this is just nearly guaranteed to do something positive in baseball like andrew Benatendi is not an all-star every year he's still a good baseball player he's still a valuable player he just also happened to have the 
Bryce Harper's Buster Posey's Tim Linson comes in there who just take over. Right. So yeah. So shout out to Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn. A lot of faith in him. So let's take a look at this turnaround from a stats perspective, just kind of very surface level where they fall, where they fell past tense, I guess, uh, pitching and hitting wise uh, compared to the league. So 2016, when this rebuild started, uh, their team ERA for that year was 4.12, which uh, was 13th best in all of baseball. So that's the year Padres right now. Huh? Better than the Padres right now. Oh, well, that's not hard. 14th best. Sorry, I misspoke. Um, and, you know, that's when they still had Chris Sale on the team and, you know, they hadn't, you know, done a teardown or anything yet. Uh, by WRC plus, the White Sox were 15th in all baseball at 97. So they're, you know, being in the middle isn't necessarily a death sentence, but if your team is old and the concern is a fall off to any of your guys or you don't have a great farm system to start replenishing some of the talent that's up top, it could be concerning. So the fact that they also chose to tear down there, in addition to the, the fact, like Corwin said much, much earlier in the episode, that mm-hmm. uh, Chris Sale kind of wanted to be out is not necessarily a surprise. And again, in retrospect, likely the right thing to do for their situation. Oh, so then let's go on and tune into 2017. And now we're in full teardown mode, right? This, this is the team that won uh, 67 games, 67 and 95, barely avoiding a 100 loss season. Uh, so that team, let's see, where are you? White Sox finished 25th in ERA. So they fell a good uh, you know, 12 spots with a 4.78 team ERA. Man, the teams behind them, uh, the Marlins, the Orioles, the Mets, the Reds, and the Tigers, most of those teams still make sense if you said that today, except the Reds. But So that's also hilarious. And if you look at their team, uh, the WRC+, Plus, they were uh, actually still 15th in baseball. They lost two points off the WRC+, Plus, but still managed to finish kind of right there in the middle with a 95 WRC+, Plus for the team. So they're hitting, showing some promise, but that pitching takes a major step back. But again, you traded away your ace. You traded away a couple more pieces. You acquired some young guys. It's it's not – I guess it is to be expected. I was going to say it's not unexpected, but it's, it, is, it is to be expected. You don't want to put that any type mm-hmm. of uh, undue pressure on your team in those types of circumstances. Now we're getting to 2018, and this is where it's going to get even rougher. And they have yet to bottom out, but they will in this season. This is their 100-loss season when they go 62 and an even 100. Their team ERA that season was 26th in all of baseball. So the ERA gets worse as a team, 4.85, but they only lose one spot. Uh, Miami jumps them. They finished better than only the Toronto Blue Jays that season, Texas Rangers, Kansas City Royals, and Baltimore Orioles. And my God, we're going to have to talk about the Orioles in this type of deep dive at some point because holy fuck. Not this episode. Not this episode. But my God, I can't keep being at the bottom like this. Uh, their e- their WRC plus got worse as well. 92. It has fallen three more points from this last season and they dropped them down five spots in the standing. So now they're 20th overall in MLB in WRC plus. Um, and like I said previously, 26th in pitching. So they're bad at pitching. They're bad at hitting, but wait, 2019 is a coming. 
things are going to go slightly up this season is when they'll finish third in the AL Central instead of fourth. They'll be passing the Royals and they'll win 10 more games than they did in their previous season. So in terms of pitching as a team, as I keep coughing into the microphone, (laughs) uh, they managed to cobble together a worse ERA, but better in comparison to the rest of the league, a 4.91 ERA, but we are firmly in a nice juicy ball season. And so that's actually good for 22nd in baseball as compared to 26 um, as every team below them, the seven or I guess eight, yeah, eight worst teams in baseball by ERA all had an over five ERA. Okay, Corbin, you want to guess who had the worst ERA as a team in all of baseball that season? Who? Give me a guess. The Orioles. The Orioles. Oh, my God. It's so fucking sad, man. Um, yeah, so the White Sox, 22nd overall in Team ERA. And if we go to do- over to WRC+, Plus, they move up a couple spots in that respect as well, finishing with basically the same WRC+, Plus though, of 92. So some signs of life. Clearly, they bottomed out from what they had been going through in terms of the rebuild and, you know, Obviously, you'd want to be a little bit positive on this and say that, you know, the only place they have to go is up. Maybe they found their their talent floor, so to speak. You know, we we don't think we can be worse than this. That might be an optimistic thought for certain teams, especially certain teams going through a rebuild. But at the same time, it has to be true to some respect. You know, that you have players on your team. They can only be so bad. That is so, true. You do have players on your team. And they can only be so bad. So now they're going to get into 2020 and they're going to make the playoffs. They're, they're going to go 20, 35 and 25 and they made a, a bunch of fancy free agent acquisitions and let's see how that pans out for them. So they were 22nd in ER or 23rd in team ERA in 2019 in 2020, they finished sixth in team ERA jumping 16 spots in the standings, finishing a full run better than they did in 2019 at 3.81. The only teams with a better ERA than them that season were uh, the Oakland A's, the Minnesota Twins, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Cleveland baseball team, and the best ERA went to the Dodgers that season. So a huge jump forward in team ERA from the White Sox that season. And where did they finish hitting-wise? Also sixth, as they take another colossal step forward in hitting, finishing with a team WRC plus of 113, which is 16 points better than they were in 2016. So really a full about face. Um, sorry, I said 26. I meant six. No, I said 16. Uh, it's a full 21 points better than the, than their bottomed out WRC+. plus. So, I mean, this, this right here has to be some really good vindication, even if it's a short season, right? Absolutely. Well, you got to feel pretty confident about what your front, front office has been doing at this point, yeah? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. All right. So then I let's mean, take- how, how can you lose confidence? Yeah, I, I mean, like, you know, if we, we've we seen the Cleveland team try to cobble together winning teams on the fly, uh, and especially in the wake of their um, World Series appearance, we try. So the, the Cubs try to do the same thing. We've seen the Orioles try to rebuild this entire time as well. The second they traded away, Manny Machado, like we could basically actually start the Orioles from the same fucking starting point from when they traded Manny Machado to the Dodgers. And man, it'll be a different, different fucking story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but here, here's the White Sox actually doing it, you know? So let's get into this season. 
So as it stands as of today, the White Sox team ERA has is better than it was last season, but it is lower in the standings um, as their team ERA is in 2021 uh, eighth in all of baseball, a 3.75 team ERA. Wow, the Padres have a better ERA. Is that possible? Uh, what are the dates that are set? This is 2021, just all of 2021. Uh, sure. I mean, our ERA was pretty good to start the year. Uh, yeah, it's 3.73. Is that right? Hold on. That sounds I... right. It's definitely not right if you just look at the past, you know, month, two months. I mean, I guess so. Hold on. I'm just I'm just cross-referencing this. Give me teams, you bitch, um, against uh, baseball reference for the Padres. Standard batting, standard pitching, San Diego. Yeah, that's right. Wow, 3.71. Way to go, Padres. I, I guess it all just seems worse than it is. Um, so anyway, so a better ERA than they had last season, but lower in the standings because there's just more teams that had better ERAs. That's the way it goes. So eighth overall in baseball for team ERA with 3.75 ERA and a step back in terms of raw WRC plus, but a huge increase in the standings as the White Sox are currently the second best hitting team in all of baseball with a 109 WRC plus nine points behind the Astros for first uh, and tied with Toronto. But overall, second best WRC plus in baseballs, pretty Fucking good. And I mean, here they are two back-to-back seasons, top 10 hitting and pitching. And it's about to be their first time in back-to-back postseasons in their fucking history. It's, 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 it's fucking here, man. Are you expecting them to win the world series now or like just the next five years? Actually, you know what? That's an interesting question. What do you think? Because I think we would say whether you think this team is going to win the World Series or not. This is definitely the World Series window. You know, it's that that big yes. playoff window. What do you think the size of this window is based on how they built this roster with, you know, do having young talent and all that, but definitely also having some major contributions from older free agent signings? I mean, if you truly are going to open up the checkbook, for guys like Jimenez, guys like Robert, you know, the core starters on this team, you could keep this window open for 10 years. I don't know if they necessarily will, but at the same time, the aspects of them acquiring talent, trading for talent, signing them, drafting them, has been so consistent over the past five years outside of the Fernando Tatis trade that there shouldn't be any reason to doubt the fact that they could keep it going for a full 10 years. You know, the window will grow and shrink, you know, based off of the season and, you know, health and whether certain guys leave and who you can replace them with, things like that. But you have Jimenez there, you have Robert there, you Robert there, you have all these other, you know, Andrew Vaughn there. Your offensive core is going to be there for a long time. They're so young. Keep it going. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're 
playoff or World Series window or whatever followed a similar trajectory to maybe like the Nationals? Because my first instinct was like, you know, what would it take for them to have a Dodgers-like run and for them to have a Dodgers-like playoff, consistent make the playoff run, it would require Dodgers level of ownership willing to spend money, which just doesn't happen with every team. But And also Nationals, like 10 years of just turning into the Dodgers front office and just being able to amass not just talent at the major league level or AAA, but every single layer of coaching, players, development, everything. Right. They're just on another level. They, they really are. But at the same time, you know, the, the White Sox are showing some really good signs of being able to do stuff like that. So they might be Dodgers light, which makes me think maybe a little bit more Nationals-esque where, you know, they're, they're big players that come up through the system end up really being big players for them. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we saw it with Bryce Harper before he ended up going to Philly. We're seeing it with Juan Soto now. Um, and then they made just, you know, very good free agent acquisitions. You know, uh, Kurt Suzuki was great for them. Max Scherzer was obviously great for them. Um, fucking Anthony Rendon. Actually, did they draft Anthony Rendon? Uh, I want to say yes, but I will double check. Ooh, yeah, this is this is a good question. Do, 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 so I definitely do, don't know do, much about Anthony do, Rendon, do, do, but I can do, fuck off. Anthony right? Rendon was drafted sixth by overall the in the first round by the Washington Nationals. And then, yeah, drafted by the Braves in the 27th round. And then three years later was drafted by the Nationals. But so they tried drafting him out of high school. I guess, is there an eligibility? Do you have to? No, you can be a freshman in college and get drafted, right? Uh, yeah, you just wouldn't necessarily sign. And typically, if you go to college, you're there for the whole. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So, yeah, he was the Nationals draft pick. Um, but regardless, like, I, I could I could definitely see them following that type of trajectory so long as they can maintain that level of scouting. And then, like you said, maintain that level of, of you know, willingness to open up the checkbook and, you know, dish out some big contracts. That was the big knock against them when the Manny Machado thing happened was that they weren't really serious about Machado because they weren't willing to go to where he wanted to be. And honestly, what Machado was asking for was not outrageous. And obviously it was, it's a big number, you know, it was 10 years, 300 million, but just because it's a big number doesn't mean it's unwarranted or an overpay. I mean, Machado is worth that contract. He plays a, an important defensive position that he defensively plays very fucking well, and he's a great hitter. So it's going to, part of it's going to be, will they be willing to make those types of signings for whether that be free agents coming from other teams or even just the players on their own teams? Again, like Corwin said, will they open up their pocketbooks for Eloy Mm -hmm. and Luis and and all these guys? uh, Or do they let, do they make tough financial decisions the way that the Nationals did when they let Bryce Harper go? Not necessarily saying that was the wrong choice, but yeah, I guess you can't hang on to everybody, whatever. Um, I would think, though, if they play it right, there's no reason this is not a five-year window for them. And mm-hmm. honestly, if they play it wrong, it could be a five-year window. If they play it right, I think, like you said, this could very easily become a 10-year window depending on what they do with these guys. But a lot of it's going to come down to how well how well they're the scouting department performs. I mean, a lot of the backs of this team comes on them making very, very good trades, very mm-hmm. good trades. So it's not even just scouting for the players that they end up drafting. It's scouting the players that they want to acquire from other teams, minor league systems or other competitive starters. 
and internal drafting. If Nick Madrigal ends up becoming a fucking stud for the Cubs and the White Sox don't win this year or next year using Craig Kimbrell as much as they would need to to make that worth it, then that trade all of a sudden isn't worth it. You know, if Nick Madrigal ends up becoming phenomenal and Craig Kimbrell is just like another guy in the bullpen, you got fucked. So it's that internal and external scouting is going to be the biggest part of those like mid-sized markets like the like the White Sox for how long this playoff window is open for them. Really, the conversation should be about the Cubs and why they didn't do this, but I'm happy for the White Sox. This is really cool. Oh, the Cubs. They should just uh, they should just re-sign Sammy uh, Sosa? Sosa. Yeah, and just make him play in blackface. Oh, that I hate that sentence. Mm-hmm. It's technically not racist. The worst kind. <laughs> Um, All right, I just thought of that. I now need an answer. <laughs> Would it be racist for a black but technically white Sammy Sosa to wear blackface? So basically, like, would Michael Jackson be racist if he came out in blackface after his yeah. Lego got to him? Yeah. I would have to imagine it still would be. Because it's it's not that he wasn't black. It's the act of putting on blackface that is racist. I, I think if Michael Jackson came out and under his own accord, well, as much of his own mental willpower that Michael Jackson possessed at the end there, if he came out and was just full makeup, I don't think, I'm sure there'd be plenty of people that would be upset, but I think the understanding would have to be like, well, he kind of made that choice already, so we can't go back on him and come after him for wanting to change. but at the same time if the team was like no sammy sammy sosa you need to go out there in blackface that would be a go fuck yourself yeah thank you for joining our race discussion womp 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 um what's your what's your big takeaway as we wrap this up what's your big takeaway of this uh chicago rebuild for for you uh the mvp of the rebuild is james shields um (laughs) But in reality, I think you could look at that as being almost a catalyst or a marker for the White Sox front office to just kind of be like, oh, we fucked up for making a bad transaction by giving up the future for a now kind of player. And then realizing, you know, through scouting reports or just seeing him play baseball like, oh, that fucked us not just for the one year we had James Shields of the next 10 years. Um, 15, 20 years even because it's Fernando Tatis and he's a god. Um, so I think just you know having that as a marker and just seeing how quickly they turned things around and how quickly they were able to capitalize on you know not protecting any one player and just finding value where they could just how it's really not an impossible task like people say with the Orioles or any other tanking team. Um, just got to hit, do it well. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the big thing that, that this shows me is how effective, because I, I think you and I have spoken and maybe a little bit more of the abstract about how the Orioles need to have, you know, like major league players. Like they need to go out and sign major league players and, you know, get free agents, um, even for the sake of just like trading them later, you know, mm-hmm. 
they, they they've done it occasionally, like they did with like Freddie Galvis. You know, like it, it, they it has happened, but it's not a consistent thing with them. And that's that's the big difference between the White Sox rebuild and the Orioles rebuild. That also makes it look more sincere. You know, like the White Sox, yeah, they traded away huge pieces that were really good players for them. Um, but they also made a concerted effort in actually signing a few free agents here and there. Obviously, not all hits, but a lot of the ones that didn't hit were one-year contracts. And they ended up trading some of those guys away for value and traded away, mm-hmm. you know, they, they constantly flipping pieces, you know, like, like with like with Dane Dunning. You know, they went out and acquired Dane Dunning from one guy and then turned around and traded them a mm-hmm. couple years later and turned that into Lance Lynn. Like, and actually taking in free and signings will give you a better understanding of how like, it's not fair for the Orioles to put whoever Sammy Watkins or sorry, Spencer Watkins, whoever is going to be the number two starter behind John means and say, Hey, you rookie, nobody that has not thrown a hundred innings of major league ball yet. You are now the number two starter for our organization. Like that's not fair. And having a guy that might be an overpay like Dallas Keiko come in and say, to your younger guys, like, you don't have to be the ace. We signed that guy to be our ace. You just do what you got to do out there. I mean, mm-hmm. that will help you develop, and that'll help you get a better sense of what you got to what you got to do. I think while everyone, all pitchers, I'd imagine, would want to become their team's ace, mentally, it might be better take some pressure off to have them come up as third, fourth, fifth starters so that they don't have to worry about putting those innings on your team on your back like that, even if your team sucks. And the White Sox shown that they're willing to do that. And I think it, that's one of the things that really helped with their pitching development and all around mm-hmm. with their whole organization. Yeah. I mean, the mental mindset of playing for a team that doesn't give a shit must be incredibly taxing compared to playing for a team that you know is investing significantly to build a winning franchise. Yeah, there's more pressure on you to perform. But at the same time, that's the whole point of being a professional athlete is performance. And guess what? Guys care more when there's something to play for. Guys play. Yeah, more that that is by for, far the, the the biggest gap here. All right, hold on, one more thing before we go, because now that I said it, I have I have to look at it. Um, the difference between White Sox and Orioles payroll by season, because I I feel I feel like I need to know this now. You know what I mean? All right. What do you mean? I need spot track premium to look at MLB payrolls. I do that all the time. Don't lie to me. <laughs> spot track, you bitch. Why would you bef- betray me? I'm your friend. Spot track. No. All right. I guess I can't do it. <laughs> that sucks. Oh, oh well. Spot track. I mean, I love your service and I probably would pay for it but i'm also cheap and don't feel like it so okay oh oh well i guess that'll have to remain a mystery forever i mean i guess the i could just look it up somewhere else never know yeah it's not gonna happen all right well then uh you got anything else before we wrap it on up and get on out of here no all right well thank you for indulging us as we went through this really thank you for indulging me um as I kind of forced Corwin's hand in having to talk about this. So appreciate you all joining the journey, including, including Corwin. Okay, um, we got to talk about Fernando Tatis, so all is happy. Tangentially, the best way to talk about him. Um, if you'd like to follow the show, you can do so at JuicingPod on Twitter. And if you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, 
about whatever you'd like to send emails about, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Thank you so much for the 13. Okay, bye.